These comments deal with the final section of Benson's book, Ethics and Further Issues in Psychology. Uh, with respect to ethics issues, uh, the list that he gives on page 166 is very good. Um, I don't think you'll have any difficulty understanding what uh, each of these uh, ideas mean. I think the one that uh, the only one I'll comment about is the notion of informed consent. Uh, this is a requirement that uh, before a researcher works with uh, somebody in a research project, they need to obtain the person's informed consent uh, to participate. Now, uh, this can be difficult in some situations. In most, it's not. I mean, you simply explain what the experiment's about, and uh, that's the informing part. And then the person says yes or no uh, as to whether they'll participate. But in some cases, it's difficult to truly give an idea of what the experiment's going to be like. Take the uh, Zimbardo experiment, uh, for instance. The people who, um, who participated in that, did they, were they really informed about what it would be like to be in that experiment? I'm not saying that Zimbardo did something wrong at the beginning. It's just that it's very difficult to tell somebody in advance what it's going to be like. In fact, in that particular case, Zimbardo himself didn't know that it was going to be anything like what it turned out uh, to be. So it's not always easy uh, to judge whether or not you've given sufficient information to people. But in most cases, it is the experiments are usually rather uh, straightforward and, and it's easy to do. I've given you uh, some links uh, related to uh, ethics. The first one is from the British Psychological Association. And uh, actually, I think the page that it takes you to has several different documents, but among them is one on the ethics of working with animals. Benson refers to a document from the British Psychological Association, but that one uh, that he refers to is a bit out of date. There's a newer one here. One of the things that I found interesting in this uh, particular document was that one piece of advice that's given to researchers is uh, don't use animals if it's uh, not necessary. For, and their primary example is in teaching situations. Uh, I remember when I first was teaching at uh, York in the introductory psychology course, all of my students uh, worked with rats in a lab setting. We had Skinner boxes and we would take the rats and the students would learn how to teach them um, a variety of things. And they made notes and wrote reports about um, various independent variables that we manipulated. Well, the BPS document uh, suggests that uh, today, it's not really necessary to do this. We have uh, films, uh, videos, and in fact, uh, laboratory simulations that uh, are, are virtually as good uh, for learning these kinds of things about uh, rats and about laboratory work as uh, actually doing it. And the important thing is that it doesn't carry the, um, the necessity of breeding rats for a very short life in a limited laboratory environment. The first link I've uh, given you here in this uh, category is called Rat Life. Uh, this is a group of people who've made an extended documentary about a group of rats, uh, laboratory-bred rats, 
that they released into a semi-natural environment. It was contained, but uh, there was little interference with the rats within this uh, environment. And they photographed many of the different characteristics of the rats that appeared in the natural environment. So it's very good for students to gain a sense of quite a number of different aspects of animal behavior. You, the, you can't watch the video from beginning to end on the site, but you can see many different uh, chapters of it, and they're all each is labeled uh, according to the particular principles that they emphasize uh, in it. So I encourage you to have a look at that. Uh, you just go uh, click the link, and when you get there on the left sidebar in the uh, bottom portion of it, it has all the different chapters, and they're each three or four minutes long. Pick out one or two and, and have a look. Uh, the second link, Sniffy the Rat. Sniffy is a, a virtual rat uh, created by one of the uh, textbook publishing companies. And uh, here it's a little bit um, more difficult to get a, a really good demo, but you can get a, a demo of what uh, Sniffy looks like and, and how it works. If you follow that, um, if you follow that link, then go to the uh, again to the left uh, sidebar menu and uh, click on main, you'll get a brief written description of how it works with a couple of diagrams uh, of the virtual rat. And there's a demo that you can uh, download. But if you want to use the demo, uh, it only remains active for 20 days. They really want you to buy this uh, product, but they will give you 20 days to play with a limited version of it. And it is quite fun actually to teach the rat to do a variety of uh, different things. The point of including this in this particular uh, set of comments, though, is that it would be more ethical uh, in those situations where films and videos and simulations uh, were sufficient for students to learn the, the basics of uh, various psychological processes uh, to use those rather than uh, to produce uh, rats unnecessarily. There are also codes of um, ethic conduct for uh, students and faculty members at the Canadian universities engaged in psychological and really any kind of research with animals or humans. In psychology, if uh, you take a course where laboratory research or human research is involved, then um, you have to take a tutorial which educate you further on the, uh, the ethics requirements. And I've given you a link to that tutorial. Those of you who major in psychology will probably wind up doing this tutorial at some time in the future. It's actually fairly lengthy to do. It goes into quite a lot of uh, detail, but it covers uh, all of these issues that uh, Benson uh, just mentions. It makes sure that uh, anybody who is engaged in uh, research with animals or humans is knowledgeable about uh, the ethics of those situations. If you take the uh, fourth year, the final thesis course, then in addition to going through this tutorial, you'll have to complete a description of the research to have your supervisor approve it. And then in fact, under many conditions, the supervisor has to submit it to a panel at the university that uh, looks at these from all over the different uh, departments. And in some cases, uh, particularly uh, major research being done by faculty members, these are submitted uh, to even broader committees uh, in Ottawa to, uh, to review. 
Uh, some people actually have complained about uh, Canada's policies on ethics. Um, the complaint is that they're being driven by a medical uh, model. Uh, one certainly understands the need for very careful uh, procedure with respect to medical procedures and uh, drugs. But the idea that um, when a student is going to do an interview, that you have to engage in the same sort of series of elaborate steps to gain uh, ethics uh, permission to do the study seems a bit much uh, to many people. And you may hear more in some of the upper level courses, instructors uh, sometimes complaining about the uh, all of the paperwork they have to complete in order to conduct their research, which clearly raises few, if any, ethical considerations. Uh, from the point of view of being a participant in a research study, uh, you should use Benson's list to make sure that you understand your, understand your rights. I mean, if you come into a situation and you become uncomfortable with it, your participation is always voluntary and you should be able to leave at any uh, time. Uh, at the end of the research, you should be provided with some sort of debriefing, that is a, a fuller explanation of the work that was being done should be provided. And many studies do this actually from the beginning because knowing what the experiment's about doesn't compromise your ability to uh, participate in. Sometimes it has to be delayed to the end, but um, there should always be a debriefing and it's certainly uh, your right to, to ask for that. And of course, if the conduct of the people doing the research is unprofessional in any way, that's certainly a serious concern and should be raised uh, with the department chair. You'll note that uh, one of the concepts that Benson mentions uh, with respect to ethics of human research is uh, that physical and mental harm should be avoided, including embarrassment, humiliation, damage to self-esteem. This would pretty clearly rule out psychologists' participation in any kind of activity that might be labeled torture. Uh, for instance, um, many of you probably know that there have been lots of newspaper reports about um, whether or not uh, Canadian soldiers uh, knew that the prisoners they were turning over in Afghanistan to the Afghan army uh, were going to be tortured. There's lots of suggestions that the American uh, military has engaged in uh, torture uh, with uh, soldiers that have been uh, taken in battle uh, in Iraq and in Afghanistan. At Guantanamo, uh, where the Americans have their uh, prison for the alleged terrorists, uh, lots of suggestions that uh, a variety of torture techniques uh, have been used there. It's also known that psychologists and psychiatrists work with the military. In fact, the military is one of the largest employers of psychologists uh, in the United States. What are the ethics of a psychologist uh, working with uh, a military situation where they know that these uh, torture techniques uh, are going to be used? Or worse, uh, where psychologists are asked for good methods of torturing. Clearly, this would seem to violate uh, the ethic guidelines of the profession. And yet, the American Psychological Association has been very loath to condemn uh, any of the military psychologists uh, who've been involved uh, with the Army. 
The American Psychiatric Association, on the other hand, stepped out almost immediately as soon as uh, these kinds of concerns were being raised, uh, condemned them, and prohibited their members from having anything uh, to do with them and threatened to expel from the association uh, any psychiatrist who did. The psychologists have only uh, reluctantly uh, taken a somewhat similar policy. Uh, the membership had to force a vote uh, on the issue at the American Psychological Association just recently. And there's still a great deal of uh, controversy around this. Well, I've given you a link where you can uh, read more uh, from Mother Jones Magazine about a couple of psychologists in particular who seem to have been heavily involved in uh, torture tactics uh, at Guantanamo and the debate that's taken place around, uh, around them from an ethics point of view. Benson finishes his book with a um, Brief Guide to Further Issues and Applications. And I want to take up just a couple of things that he mentions here. Uh, first of all, he talks about psychology as an academic subject. And I thought it would uh, be interesting for those of you who haven't found it already uh, on your own uh, to have a list of the various subjects, uh, the subject matter of psychology. So I've given you a link where you can see the full list of courses that are offered at York for um, psychology. Benson raises the issue of the status of psychology. He writes about the difference among psychiatrists, psychologists, and others who do psychological counseling kind of work without necessarily having any training in psychology per se. Uh, however, I want to remind you of a different status issue, and that's the one of psychologists thinking in terms of natural science, that uh, early in the course, we talked about psychologists having a good deal of concern about uh, the status of psychology as a soft science rather than a hard science, as a normative science rather than a causal science, and that the gold standard among scientists uh, traditionally seems to be doing experimental research in a causal science model. I've been trying to argue through this course, as has um, Moganum in particular, that uh, there's a great deal to be said for the normative science approach and that it's a problem in psychology generally that uh, funding is more prevalent for causal science uh, research and that uh, people seek to do experimental procedures when often uh, the questions that I think are most important to psychology are better treated from a normative uh, system, uh, taking account of the values, beliefs, uh, and so forth that humans bring to uh, their interactions. Benson also mentions the need for psychology, particularly with respect to applications uh, in education and in social control. Uh, as many of you know, I'm particularly interested in uh, education. I teach an upper-level course in educational psychology. I hope uh, maybe I'll see and get to know some of you uh, in that course this fall. And I think Benson's right that there is a great need and there's a great deal that uh, psychologists know that can be very useful, uh, very valuable in the educational realm. Uh, he talks about the area of social control he mentions, particularly in uh, prison situations, for instance, that there are many people who have all sorts of theories, make all sorts of assumptions about uh, the best way to treat uh, people who have been involved in crime. And that psychology would yield a stronger base, a firmer foundation, so to speak, for this work. But it's an interesting psychological phenomenon in its own right. Why is it that 
psychologists have such a difficult time uh, convincing uh, people who don't have a very good uh, educational background in this area to take seriously the, the work of the psychologists. Just as a simple example, the, the, uh, the work of Zimbardo uh, in, with respect to the prison experiment has been known for a great deal of time. And yet uh, we have uh, the U.S. in Iraq with the Abu Ghraib uh, prison situation, almost an exact replica of exactly what Zimbardo says will happen in these uh, situations if uh, certain precautions uh, aren't taken. Certainly a portion of the problem lies in philosophy. I think another issue that uh, Benson raises that we need more sense of the connection between uh, psychology and political and philosophical aspects. Uh, with respect to prison, not everybody agrees that the purpose of a prison system is to rehabilitate criminals. Many people see it as in terms of punishment, as Hype might say. Uh, many people are taken with the myth of pure evil and feel that uh, those who are pure evil need to be locked away uh, and excluded from the society. Well, this is a philosophical uh, position, a political position, and uh, psychology has much to offer to the debate uh, about these. As I've mentioned before, uh, my own view is that the most important thing to teach in the schools is how to participate in debate. In a democratic society, we need to be able to work with uh, those with different views, but also work in productive ways with those uh, in order to build a, a firmer uh, understanding of the phenomena that are important in our lives. With respect to political and philosophical aspects of psychology, I'll just mention a couple of things. On the philosophical side, I think the most important, uh, the most central philosophical notion that we've dealt with in the course is the difference between two kinds of science causal science and normative science. An aspect of this is the question of the extent to which psychological explanations should be sought in a reductionist frame. Height provides a good example of somebody who does frequently use reductionist uh, explanations. He's constantly referring back to biological uh, bases of various aspects of uh, human behavior. Uh, he doesn't do this exclusively. He does uh, also use explanations uh, that involve uh, meaning systems, values, beliefs. And uh, I think that uh, probably in psychology what we need is a good balance between these two, some kinds of uh, behavior. Clearly the biological aspects will be relevant, but in others uh, the biological may be uh, very limited in scope and it's really within the meaning systems that we need to look for explanations. But these are philosophical uh, distinctions people make uh, judgments about. With respect to political, uh, perhaps the political issue that we've dealt with the most is the role that psychologists should take in political activity. To what extent should psychologists be neutral uh, in their observations and their work? Cosgrove and Flynn is the best example we've had of a group of psychologists who are overtly political. Uh, Dixon and uh, the South African uh, group that we read also uh, take a political stand with respect to um, racial prejudice. Another area where there is a group of uh, psychologists uh, working very actively in a political frame is with respect to poverty. Uh, so there's a movement uh, in psychology called uh, liberation psychology. It's perhaps best uh, known and associated with Central American uh, psychologists. 
the last link I provide is from a book uh, and a set of articles by uh, Ignacio Martin Barro, uh, a psychologist from El Salvador, who was actually assassinated by the military government in El Salvador um, some time ago. But he, uh, and for his views, his psychological and political views, the page I've linked you to uh, contains three points that he makes about uh, psychology. And in the second one, he makes a point very similar to the discussion we had with respect to feminism, the idea of a standpoint psychology. He's saying that uh, psychologists need to stand in the position of the impoverished in order to understand that position, in order to take action. He says too often psychologists stand in the position of the middle class, too often in the standpoint they, the standpoint they take is of the privileged and they misunderstand or fail to even recognize psychological processes that are relevant uh, to the poor, particularly systemic processes uh, that are involved. So I hope that uh, this and the others that I mentioned from the work we've done before give you some idea of what uh, Benson has in mind when he says that psychology needs to be more concerned with the political uh, aspects of psychological phenomena. His comments uh, probably are most easily read as being about surveying public opinion uh, to learn what people want and uh, working psychologists working uh, in that vein. And Martin Barreau actually uh, worked in as the head of uh, opinion polling in El Salvador. He, he was given that job by the right-wing uh, military dictatorship uh, to sort of keep him out of trouble. They didn't recognize uh, the power that public opinion polling could have and Martin Barreau was able to uh, work his way in to get information from people that allowed people to understand the depth of negative feeling towards the government, uh, something which the government had been able to keep uh, out of the newspapers and magazines up to that point. And this had a good deal to do with uh, Martin Barreau's eventual death. Martin Barreau's book raises a number of other uh, joint political psychological issues. And if you find uh, this, this portion of the discussion interesting, I encourage you to uh, go through the uh, pages in Google Books that are provided.